Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. I want to talk about the great things that are happening for you. You know, God is moving mightily in the world today. We are in a season where the Lord Jesus Christ is taking the reins of power and authority. And when I say that, I mean not indirectly only through his church, but directly ahead of his church. God is moving into his sovereign and dominion realm Kingdom. Now, I want to talk about kingdom because we, we do a lot of kingdom, you know, of talk. But God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you know, I want, I want to tell you where we are in the, in the scheme of God, in the seasons of God. Because I want you to understand, you need to get ready to be ready. And God wants you to get ready to be ready because when he touches your life, he's moving swiftly. So when I, I want you to read this. I want to read this to you because this is, wow, this is powerful. This is where we are in this brief window. You know, brief to us could be four years or ten years. Brief to God could be a century. But anyway, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia right, listen to this. I want you to hear me differently. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia right. These things says, says he that is holy, that's number one, he that is true, number two, he that hath the key of David, number three, and he that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. Now, that is Revelation 3.7. You are, we're going to have to start reading the Bible beyond our theology, beyond our doctrine. We're just going to read it verbatim. Just as a printed text, we'll deal with the other things a little later, applications, etc. But he says here to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? Now, it's important that you understand what, what has happened to us. I've been really, really harping on this culture crafted church, harping on it, harping. And so I, it's important that you understand 
what that means, what that looks like, how that works. So um, I've heard when I was first involved, let me just say I was young in the Lord and young in learning the Lord, because that's, that's a big deal. Um, young in learning the Lord. Now, because I was young, I didn't know anything, so I wanted to learn Jesus Christ. I wanted to learn the Bible and all of that. First of all, you need to write this down. Not everybody who says you're learning the Bible are teaching you the scriptures. You know, we're about ready to go live on Facebook soon, I hope, so that we can, everybody can get this because I would like to know this. But not everybody who tells you you're, you're learning the Bible or teaching you the scriptures, write that down. Not everybody who's telling you they're teaching you the Bible are teaching you the scriptures. So you may be learning excerpts from the Bible. You may be learning what the Bible uh, says and, and things that are doctrine, but you are not learning the scriptures. In order to be potent in God, you've got to have at least two to three years of Bible, uh, of scripture study, where you learn God's, God's inspired word or breathed word verbatim. In my class, Apostolic Prophetic Bible Education um, at Price University, we have something called verbatim scripture study. Now, that is something that you're going to hear a lot of theologians and a lot of intellectualists and, and doctrinaires tell you that's not necessary and you don't need to learn it that way. But they only say that about the Bible because these same people with these degrees had to read those textbooks verbatim meaning they had to read them as they were written. And they had to read them as they were written to make a decision as to whether or not they were going to subscribe to what they just read or if they were going to divert from it and go in another direction or if they were going to miscegenate it. That means blend it with a whole lot of things. But the first step of all the knowledges that you have, all of those degrees you all have out there, all of that stuff, your first step is to read that book as the author wrote it. Now, you can say, yeah, well, you know, but, but that was written by people. And what you realize folks ghost write all the time. You don't know who wrote your textbook. You have no idea if that author actually wrote that textbook or not. You don't even know if, if the novels that you love and that recreational reading that you do, you don't know who actually took pen in hand or in our day, keyboard, keystroke in hand. And wrote that book. You don't know that. There are a lot of arguments that we're going to bash as we go forward in scripturally organic, culturally modified Christianity. A lot of arguments. And I mean a lot of arguments. You're going to have a ton of arguments that are going to deal with the fact that you have been sold a bill of goods about the scriptures. There are a lot of people who go, they, they've gone to meetings, they've gone to sessions, classrooms, written taking notes, and then in, included those notes in their own work. And whether you know it or not, we, it doesn't matter. So I, I know <clears throat> if you don't start with this book yourself, and we're going to talk about translations too because that's important, but if you don't start with this book yourself, then you will not know if somebody deviated from what was written. Now, in <clears throat> the modern time, like today, you do that and not give people credit and quotes and carrying on, you get sued. They call it plagiarism. 
People plagiarize the scriptures all day long. There's a whole site on the internet that talks about my quotes and quotes and carrying on that quote scripture and won't tell you that it's scripture. Whole site devoted to giving you the wisdom and the the, the person on that, that's putting it out there gets the credit. They and Jesus says that. You know, in the Bible, Jeremiah twenty three says that people steal his word all the time. Still. You see, God charges you with that for not giving him credit for what he wrote and what you spoke or teach about what he wrote. And so even though we think it means nothing, God calls it thievery. He calls plagiarizing his words, his truth, and his text thievery. And when it comes time to um, make, make judgment calls, render people the work to their hands, that is what he does. So you'll go there because I've gone to this site. It's something quotes, and they quote a whole lot of people. Now, they mention Einstein. They mention, uh, you know, uh, the, the God, all of them. They mention their names, but they won't mention Scripture because the whole idea is to divorce you from the word of truth so that they can break God's hold on your life. If you don't know who to give credit to, then you're going to bless anything that quotes what you think is Bible. And some of those quotes are wrong. We have a whole move in the in the uh, academic community because they're raising back theism where they're going to use scripture and not tell you it came from your Bible. They're going to use scripture in your classes. In academia, they have programs. For example, they have psych- psychology programs and, and, and uh, uh, you know, therapeutic studies that are adding the Bible to it because they can't find it. They can't beat it. The only reason they're adding the Bible is because they found out God really is God. And he is not going to let them get away with anything. So they're using it. But do you know if they're cheating your God? Do you know if they're plagiarizing your salvation text, your sacred text? Do you know? Because they're giving Buddha credit. They're giving the Vedas credit. They're giving the Quran credit. But are they giving Jesus Christ credit? And I, my, my declaration is let, let happen to them what happened to the Philistines when they put the ark in the temple with all the other gods and let God begin to whittle it away and chop it down, etc. But you don't know that. You can't defend Christ. You're talking about, I'm defending Jesus Christ. You don't even know the God. You don't know his life. You don't know his, his eternal life. You don't know his earthly life. You don't know his everlasting life. You don't know anything about him, but it sounds good to say that we are defending God. You're not. You can't defend what you don't know. Somebody has to tell you who we're fighting for, why we're fighting, and is it worth our life? Far too many Christians are in God's service simply because it's a family business. So when you start reading this thing and you read it verbatim, I don't care what your preacher said. You read this word for yourself because the Holy Ghost in you needs to script it for your soul and for your life. And even though there are thousands and thousands of words and and verses, you need to understand the parts that God is adapting to his creation of you. So having said that, I remember coming up and they're talking about the angels of the churches. And if you look at some some evangelical and fundamentalist uh, commentaries, They'll say, well, that actually meant pastors. No, it doesn't. A pastor is not an angel. And certainly not an angel, a perpetual angel over a, a eternal institution. 
So to the angel means that everything that God does begins with his invisible agents, his inhuman agents. And then they, in turn, disseminate it to the earth. Jesus Christ came, picked his apostles, had 12 of them. He taught them, commissioned them, and then recommissioned them as the resurrected son of God, son of man, son of David, son of Abraham. He recommissions these apostles. And who takes over their immediate care and their immediate superintendence? Angels. They get arrested, angels get them out. A pastor couldn't get you out of jail unless they wanted to pay the bail. And how many bails are they going to pay before they decide to say, you need to work it out? But the angels came, got them out of jail, and said, go stand in the midst of the city and teach people about this way. So who are those angels? Because God assigned seven angels to the earthly ecclesia. Their job is to see to it that his vow that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church is is never abolished and never unfulfilled. So these, look at this. If this was pastors, then you're talking about every pastor inherits this mandate, every pastor inherits this assignment. This duty? Are you kidding me? See, there are things we teach. We just accept it because nobody expects God to make sense. Part of why you buy everything is because you really don't expect anything spiritual to make sense. Because if you can't see it, if you can't uh, uh, touch it, handle it with your five senses, then it makes no sense. It doesn't. You don't have to even give it a sense of intelligence or a sense of logic. So it's getting, it's getting you to recognize that, getting you to appreciate that. It doesn't make sense because you've been trained to think the scripture has no earthly, no physical manifestation, no literal application. Because in, your, in most theological minds, most religious minds, I'll say religious, you know, you run the deity. The deity doesn't run you. You tell the deity how it's going to be. And then if you get tired, you quit and you go off to another one. But that's not God. God did not put this word in the planet without a guardian, without a protector, without a corrector, and also without an interpreter. See, God does not need us to translate his word because the Holy Spirit will. For those in the planet who are filled by God's spirit, the Holy Ghost is going to lead you and guide you into all truth. He's going to tell you things to come. He's going to take up what is Jesus Christ and give it to you, but you've been talked out of the Holy Ghost. Because when you get, before you get talked out of Scripture, you get talked out of the Holy Spirit. You just don't know that. Before you get, get to the point that, huh, the Bible is written by man, the Bible isn't this, and the Bible isn't that. Those, you have to be talked out of the Holy Spirit because you have to be talked out of a world greater than yours that precedes yours and predates yours and superintends this world. See, there's a lot of talking out of before you get to the point that you cease to believe the Bible because the Holy Spirit is what, what God put in the planet to see to it that it remains real to you. But then you're going to have to really deal with the Holy Spirit, and some people don't like that. You know, I've been talking about this culture across the church. I, I, I read these statistics from the Barna Group. I, I, you know, they come up on my phone. 
And they talk about how many Christians don't believe that Jesus Christ was saved, how many Christians that don't believe in, I mean, was God, how many Christians that don't believe in the virgin birth, how many Christians don't believe the Bible is real. Do you realize that there's a name for those kind of Christians? They're called culture crafted Christians. They are not like what you think. You're giving them, you're treating those Christians as if they have the same passion and zeal and faith in God that you have, but they don't. Those are culture crafted Christians. Those are Christians that absolutely, absolutely don't believe in Jesus. They're not in Christianity. They're not in Christ. They're in church. And you need to know the difference because not everybody who believes in Jesus Christ is the same way. And so I just want you all to get this. I want you to understand that they are not the same. Culture-crafted Christians don't believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the Christian church. Write that down so that you can understand why you're having problems. So when he gives these statistics, what happens is you read it and say, oh, wow, well, maybe something's wrong with me, and maybe I should not, and maybe, and maybe, and maybe. And you're, you're, you're actually being talked out of your faith by people who never entered it by people who've never even entertained it, many of which have never seen it. Well, they go to church, and so do Muslims, and so do Buddhists, and so do Unitarians, and, and we know they're not Christians. Well, they, they, have, they have a Bible. They never open it. They take the Bible and never crack it. They got stories about the Bible. They have pastors who preach those stories. But culture-crafted Christians are not, Christian, not Christ Christians. They are many times against Jesus Christ because they don't like his standards, because they don't like his rules, because they don't like his law, they don't like his government. They are the people who don't want him to rule over them. They want to just hang out in his church, hang out in his sphere, migrate among his family, but they don't believe in him. And you have got to start asking the right questions to find out what kind of Christian is criticizing Christ. What kind of Christian is criticizing Scripture? Because you need to recognize that a lot of these people who say they're Christians are not. They just aren't, and they never wanted to be. There are people who like the songs of the church. There are people who like the feel of the worship. There are people who like the feel of the Holy Ghost, but they like it as a thrill. It's very different. And I want you all to start thinking differently. Before you buy somebody's criticism and bitterness, you need to find out what kind of Christian am I talking to? Am I talking to the Christians that Pentecost brought to earth, that the Holy Ghost brought to earth on Pentecost? Or am I talking to the Christians who just like to hang out in Jesus? See, a lot of you are with those hangout Christians. And so their criticism and your indecision match up to subvert your faith. Because when you meet a real Christian, and I'm talking about a real Jesus Christ Bible Christian, you will not meet with indecision. That is what they hated about us. Do you realize what they hated about us is that we were decisive, that we were, you know, before we got to this whole, you know, culture-crafted, satanic, uh, clergy church, we, people hated us. Why do you think they attacked us? Because we were decisive. We were convinced. We were persuaded. We were emphatic. They couldn't shake us. They couldn't shake our testimony. They couldn't shake our witness. They couldn't shake our faith. They could not shake our 
things. They could not shake our resistance to them. They couldn't shake it. They couldn't shake our, 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 our story about our God. They couldn't shake our love. They couldn't shake our devotion. They couldn't shake our commitment. And because we were unshakable, they had to go back to the drawing board to come up with another strategy. And the strategy they chose was infiltration and subtle, insidious invasion. Let, me, let us take them out from the inside. Because they couldn't shake us. You remember, we go back even as, as, as recently as the, as the 70s to the 90s. You were a Christian, that was it. Period. And you didn't have to define what kind of Christian you were because we had not yet allowed them to infiltrate and to invade our faith and invade our, our, our hope and to denigrate our Savior. We hadn't done that. Pastors, we had, you always had pastors that didn't make it, but they did not get a public platform and a public forum to teach you how to turn against Jesus Christ. They didn't have that. But why did, why did Satan have to come up with that campaign? Why did he have to do that? Because we were, Jesus was too good at what he did, and we were too good at loving him, and we were too good at standing for him, and we were too good at defending him, and too good at fighting for him. And because we were that good, no other religion got a shot to eclipse us because we were that good. And why were we good? Because we stayed in the word and not just in doctrine. We stayed in our, we had our Bibles and we didn't have 57 translations of them so that we could spend time arguing with each other about which one is right, which one is true. All of those are tactics. And when he invaded this thing, he came for the, the heart. The, the, the main artery of Christianity. And the main artery of Christianity is the, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the, on, the, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law became by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so because the word and the Savior were one and the same, are one and the same, because they are fused one and the same, just like you are, a, you are word and flesh. I know you don't think about it, but when we describe who you are, we describe your heart, and we describe that. But we start with something called your DNA. And so Jesus' DNA is the, is the literal verbiage of the Almighty. And the Almighty's verbiage is literally the carnal or the fleshly side, human side of Jesus Christ. He incarnated and stepped in flesh. But see, you don't know that because you think that if I keep getting an easier translation, I'll get a better understanding. Now, when has easy and increase ever matched? When has easy and heightened understanding ever, ever worked? So we keep getting dumber and dumber versions of the Bible, and then, yet we think they're going to make us smarter and smarter in Christ. You understand that a, 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 an elementary primer is a primer. It is that for a reason. The reason they write simply for kids is because kids have no capacity to handle, to even intake complicated thoughts and subjects. So we have to break it down. We have to have, for starting off with monosyllables. A lot of Christians, because Satan talked to you in the same, oh, that's just too deep, and that's just too hard, and you don't need that, and that's complicated, because God's joke is easy. It's, 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 his joke may be easy, but his wisdom is complex. He just makes it easy for you to wear the yoke. 
God's burden is light, but there is a burden. And his burden and his word are not the same. You know, Paul talks about, well, I'm just, you know, I'm speaking to you in simple speech. He's telling you God's stuff is so complicated, and you all just coming out of paganism, just coming out of sin, just coming out of blindness, just coming out of occultism, you all are not ready for God's language. So we're going to start with A is for Apple because the scriptures are God's language. That's his thought. This is how he thinks. And so you get to the point that you don't like how he thinks, well, then you're never going to be his defender. You won't even be his child because you don't like how he thinks. It it requires faith, for without faith it is impossible to please God. And he that comes to God must believe that he is or that he exists. You will never come to something that you don't think exists. And if you happen to bypass the exist gate, you still have one more to go through. And that is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. You are looking for rewards from God for casual Christianity. You're looking for rewards from God for nonchalant Christianity, for indifferent Christianity. You want to be indifferent to God so people don't think you're religious, and then you want him to reward you with what? He's going to reward you with the fruit of indifference which is he's going to ignore you. He's just going to ignore your plight. He's not going to get in there. You know, I sit down with people who who still running on the gospel of the 70s and 80s and, and, and thinking that no matter what, God's got to do. God, and they, they quote it and say it, and he's not doing it. God's got to do, but I need. God's got to do, but I'm hurting. God's got to do, but the devil. God's got to do, but my kids. God's got to do, but my family. If, if, if God's got to do, why do you have problems? Why do you have needs? Let your doctrine match your experience. And if God's not preventing difficulties and hardships and setbacks, clearly he has found a way out of the gotta do club. He doesn't have to do anything but reward your faith. And not just your faith in him. God rewards faith. So if you have faith in something else, he's going to reward you for your faith in something else. Because God's word cannot return to him void. And so we're, we have people talking about, I give you a dumbed-down Christianity. I give you a simplistic gospel when the Bible said that God's thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways, higher as high as the heavens are over the earth. So, and you're going to sit here and argue with folks like you know every one of these. And you don't read your Bible. You, got, you read three verses and say, oh, good Lord, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> If this book, if the scriptures bother you, then you need to understand that you're either immature in Christ, and so you do need baby food, you know, the milk, or your soul is guarding itself against the spirit of Jesus Christ that's in you. In other words, the, the, your soul, your training, your life, your family, whatever, your passions are, are, are literally preventing the word of God from affecting your mind or your intelligence. So your soul is, has been weaponized against the truth. You don't know. You just want this world. Well, I, just, I, just don't, I think that's just religious. You don't even know what religious is. Religion is a good thing if you want to look up the definition. Religion, being religious, it means that you are loyal to a deity. So many Christians are disloyal to Jesus Christ. And they're disloyal to Jesus Christ because they've been taught that if they have to stop being 
uh, uh, you know, adulterers. They have to stop being liars. They have to stop being loose. They have to stop being lewd. When all of those, all of those things that offend Christ, that they cherish, that they love, are uh, come into contact with Jesus Christ, they they, they would they're gonna create a story. People always make a case for their sin. He, they always create cloaks for their sin. Well, you don't understand. I was raised in a religious household, and you don't understand. My my mom was a, a preacher. My dad was a, a, a an apostle. And uh, you got all of these. Those are all cases that you make for the rebellion you've always had that you promised yourself you would express when you were no longer under their control. Jesus said, "No lies of the truth." Because I'm going to tell you something. There are people who have been raised in great households and hate God. And then there are people who have been raised in terrible households and embrace God. So it doesn't matter. What you don't believe is that your sin is that's tolerated in the earth is a crime in God's world, which is why you get negative results, because those criminal acts caught agents and spirits of judgment and punishment and sentencing. Well, I just don't believe that. It doesn't matter. You, you know you were 16 talking about you were never going to lose your figure. You're now 36 and your figure's gone. I don't care how thin you are, you don't have that figure any longer. So obviously there are elements of life that, that, don't, that do not care about you like that, that don't care about your vows, about that, your dislike for God. God's not going to stop being God because you got a problem with him. You're just going to one day not be a problem for him. That's how it works. One day you're not going to be a problem for him. One day you're going to be too old or too sick or too tired or you're going to be dead. He's still God. And a whole new batch of people are going to come in with the same problems with him that you have, and they're going to die. And they're going to die. And they're going to die. And on the way, they're going to be battered and plummeled and all of those other things by the same agents and the same guardians that God has used against those who dislike him to death. My job, my task, if you will, is to help Christians get out of that number and stop being gullible. Stop thinking that just because you, you are a rebel that your rebellion is upsetting God. It's not. You're just making place for more and more judgment. Well, what do you mean about judgment? Meaning those, those agents, spirits, those devils, those demons that God reassigned to the earth realm and then retasked with vetting Christians or vetting humans for Christianity and Christians for eternity. See, they exist to vet humans for Christianity and Christians for eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but that is, I had to hit a little something because, you know, I had to come after it. I had to come after it. So you have to recognize that all that you see is not upsetting God. I don't care about how many people say, well, I just don't believe him. I'm never going to believe him. God does not care about that. You know what God cares about? Those that want him because he's a positive God. So he's not caught up on the negativity. The negativity, he's already handled. He's judged that. He's assigned that. He said he who, often, who is often corrected and hardens his heart, evil angels will be sent to him. That's Bible. That's in Proverbs. I know you didn't know that. But he who is often corrected and hardens his heart or stiffens his neck, evil angels will be sent. See, I'm not making this up. 
But see, you don't know that. You don't even have a chance to defend yourself from the swarms of demonics that are always swirling around your head and invading outside the hedge of your protection. You don't have an opportunity to protect yourself because you don't know you're at risk. You don't know what you're jeopardizing. You think you're jeopardizing going to church or you're jeopardizing being able to cuss at will. You're jeopardizing being able to drink. You're jeopardizing being able to fornicate. You're just, all you're je- you think you're jeopardizing all of that, all, and you're not. Well, in a way you are. You're jeopardizing what's going to take you out in the planet. I don't care if it takes two or three years, because sometimes God says sin has to be full grown before he will kill it. So it could take you two or three years, five, ten years. But you don't realize what you're jeopardizing because you're listening to your pastor giving you the thumbs up. Okay, okay, okay. God understands. It's okay. Go for it. God has to forgive you. Go for it. Because your pastor doesn't know God, and God has long since stopped talking to your pastor. Because any pastor that approves sin means God's not talking to him, which means God's done with them. Culture crafted church, done. And not, I'm not making this up. He said to me one day, he said, I am so done with this. He said, I'm done with this. He said, I'm, right now he's moving to identify who to extract and bring into his ark and who to let live their life as they chose. Remember, the blood is not a compulsion. The blood is a protection. But Jesus shed his blood on this earth to give you the opportunity to leave sin and leave darkness and come into his life. But he also shed it to give those who hate the light the opportunity to reject him. So the blood is not a compulsion. It's an acceptor or rejecter. But either way, it enforces your choice. It enforces what you want. So this whole thing, when you hear saints, well, I just don't believe a loving God is going to send people to hell. I don't know why they want to go. He asked, they asking him to go. I don't know why you think he's answering your prayer to take you to heaven. So, what do, so he's answering your prayer of your free will, but he's going to go and impose his will and crack their neck and, and, and you know, hold up their arms to make them go to heaven, and they don't want it. What makes you think that there are not people who don't want Jesus Christ? Judas was with the man, ate with the man, sat in the man's classes, went to meetings, laid hands, cast out his own relatives. And you know what? When it was all said and done, he still couldn't stand Jesus Christ. He hated him. He hated him because he was the son of perdition, and Jesus chose him for his heritage for his lineage, his genealogical connection to the son of perdition. He came down through the line of Cain, and he couldn't stand Jesus. He hated everything he did. He didn't like how the man preached. He didn't like how the man handled money. He didn't like how, the, how, how people treated the man. He did not like how the man would not take all the costly things and put them in the treasury. He did not like him. And you all forget that. You know, even I watch documentaries where, you know, Judas really wasn't a, a betrayer. Judas, Judas was not, he couldn't have been a betrayer. He had to be a betrayer because it was never a buy-in. Judas never bought in to Jesus Christ. Never, ever. He traveled with him. He appreciated the fame and prestige of being with this renowned minister, this, this renowned man. But he did not like him. And, he's, and, 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 and Psalm 16 said he wouldn't. He says, he who eats at my table, my own faithful friend has lifted up his heel against me. 
See, you all have this. That's why the evangelical thing is going through, because you all have produced and disseminated a gospel that doesn't walk and talk right. God is not going to force people to want him. Now, granted, he may have to force the penitent devils off of them. And we need to, that's a fine line. Let's make these fine point distinctions. He might, he's going to have to do it. I know he had to force my devils off because my devils weren't letting him in. They were serious, you know? So what you think is forcing you to be saved is not. You have already told God in your heart. You're, you're penitent in your sleep. He's read your dreams in your crying times. He's already discerned that your heart is toward him. And if you had a chance, if, if a stronger man came, you would be saved. So he came as the stronger man to break the yokes of bondage and to break the seal of darkness on you. He pushed past that, and he, he pushed into your heart. Oh, you didn't catch it. He pushed past that shield of resistance against him. So that is why people do things like write dumb songs like Reckless Love, because you really think that's what it was. God does not. No, no. God fought those devils that were not letting your soul say, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. I believe that I am a sinner and that I need a savior. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who has become flesh. God sent him into the world to save sinners, to seek and save that was lost. So you couldn't believe, come on, somebody, because you see, we got a gospel that doesn't walk and talk in reality. And you need that. You need that. You need to know that Jesus came to Seek and save that which is lost, that which was lost, not to the world, lost to him. He chose you because you were in him before the foundation of the world. And anything that wasn't in Jesus Christ or Abel when he died is not going to want Jesus. And because the world has become so vastly populated, we cannot imagine that principle being at work. The Bible says we were in him. You're not saved by accident or incident. You're saved because of your eternal residence. You were in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he came and brought your spirit to deposit in your human shell so that you can be reunited with your eternal father, enjoy the eternal paternity of the Godhead, and then go out and spread the same. Pass it on and pass it on. See, we haven't talked this gospel. You are hearing stuff about the gospel you didn't even know what. So you're walking around and we got preachers talking about, no, everybody's going to go to heaven. Are you kidding me? God kicked everybody that hated them out. Why would he let them back in? The Bible said God kicked kicked Satan out. Jesus came and said, I saw Jesus. Remember? Jesus, the man who incarnated, supposed to not have a memory of his eternal self, he said, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. He said, I saw him. Why? Because when he lost that battle, Jesus told Michael and army, get him out of here and take his friends with him. One third of the angels. Now, Jesus came. Oftentimes you think, well, Jesus didn't know Satan before. Are you kidding me? He said, I saw him fall because I was responsible for his fall. I saw him get exiled, banished from his own realm and his own nation, his own kin and his own people. And he did it because God said, 
iniquity was found in him. God did not, God does not want to reproduce iniquity in his realm. So you all need to, when you listen to this gospel, when they make those statements, then sit down with your family or, or your mentor and ask them, okay, so if everybody's going to be saved and everybody isn't holy and everybody isn't clean and everybody and everybody and everybody not serving God and everybody doesn't like Jesus, so he's just going to force the Muslim to be saved. He's going to force the Hindu to be saved. He's going to force the, the, the Buddhist to be safe. He's going to force the Unitarian to be safe. He's going to force all of these people to be safe when they don't like him. Would you do that in his stead? Would you bring all of your adversaries, force them to come and live in your house and live your life and live your world? And if you did, would you expect that they would not turn your world into mess? Think, people. Think. So you're so busy loving the fact that you can fornicate, that you can commit adultery, you can drink, you can get high, and all of that. You love that, and you say, I'm a Christian, and I do it. You're not a Christian. You're a churchian. You're not a Christian. You don't like Jesus Christ because you are addicted to everything that he finds repugnant. And your addiction, you love. Because the word addiction means to love. To love a habit. Dipped word. You love the words of that addiction. You love what it means. You love following those words. Look at it. Addiction is the is literally the affection and the homage paid to a deity. You like that. Every time you commit adultery, you're telling God, I love this devil. I love this thing. I love the way it, it, it offends Christ. I love the way. It, no, you think you love the way it makes you feel. You don't even realize that you are fornicating through a devil. And between you and that piece of stuff you got is a demon who is manipulating it. First Corinthians 6, what he says, sexual immorality is the only sin you take into your body. How do you take it in? You take it in through your skin. How do you take it in? You take it in through your skin and through your organs. So while you're saying, I can't stop, God is like, you can't because you're still in love with that devil. I can't help myself. Yes, you can. You don't want to. Because you've fallen in love with that devil's feeling. You've fallen in love with that devil's intoxication. And you love it. You, for, you have a covenant. You force a covenant with that. You force a covenant with your addictors. You have a covenant with that spirit. And you are obligated. And that thing is obligated. So when it comes time for you to go to church, of course you don't like real Christians. When it comes time for you to go to church, you're going to find a church that says it's okay. Because that, that, that devil is going to find a church where his friends are. See, devils pick churches for themselves, too. I know you think we only do, but they pick churches for their too because they want to hang out with their friends. They want to be able to see how many Christians they got, how many people they can delude into thinking that they're Christians. I know y'all flowing with me. See, you, don't, you think that God doesn't understand. I don't care how, what preacher told you this. They cannot find in this word that you don't like to read. They cannot find in this world that you avoid reading that what they say to you is true. God says he tells you all of the things that cannot be partakers of the kingdom of God. Well, he who does this and that cannot, you are not partakers of the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're partakers of the kingdom of darkness. They're partakers of the kingdom of death. And God's not going to cohabitate with Satan, which is why he kicked them out. You want them to cohabitate. Well, I just think God and Jesus and the devil ought to get along. Why? Jesus made the devil. He owes him nothing. Satan has a master. 
His name is your Savior. So they don't have to get along. God's like, this is my planet. I don't have to get along with you. This is my creation. Why do I? As a matter of fact, the only reason that I have not stopped you is because right now I'm repurposing you to go vet humans for Christianity and vet Christians for eternity. You know that's good. I thought you might like Did you like that? Because we have to start thinking differently. You have to understand Christianity did not, is not about a congregation. It's not about a building. Christianity is about the indwelling Holy Spirit or the indwelling Godhead by the Holy Ghost. Christians are Christians because the Holy Spirit or the Godhead or the God of all creation decided to put inseminate himself in that, to install himself in them so that he can reproduce himself in human form. That's Christianity. And what Jesus does is different from devils is devils step in and out for, for possession. But Jesus inseminates himself. So he literally, I'm telling you this is so good, he literally fuses himself with all of your physiological, psychological, and pneumatological makeups. He literally does that. We come, and how can he do it? Because that's how, he, that's how he started. God created man. And then he breathed in man the breath of life. And so the Holy Ghost now breathes in you the breath of life, which is why John 3 keeps talking about the spirit goes where it wants to go, and you do not know you do not know where it's coming or where it's going. You only hear the sound, and you don't even hear the sound. People get saved silently. There are a whole lot of people in those other religions that are got the seed of Christ. God's just waiting to breathe on it. Because you don't know where Christianity is. They're telling you Christianity is dying. How, how do you know? You don't know where Jesus planted his seed. And not one of Jesus' seeds died. So he planted his seeds a lot of places while you were in Sunday school, while you were in youth group, all of that, and you don't know it. And when God gets ready, he breathes on that seed. It comes alive and begins to bash the death in your soul and begins to convert you to him. All of a sudden, you don't know why, but your heart is different and your soul is changing, and it doesn't make sense. Sometimes he does it when you get very old. Sometimes he does it just before you leave here. But I want you to understand, you cannot count Christians. Because Christians are not members on a book. You don't know where the seed of Christ is. And I promise you, if you've counted a billion of us, I promise you there's probably two, two and a half. The rest waiting to be manifested. And there are times that God won't manifest his, his entrance into your spirit because he knows that you're not in an environment where your teachers will teach you right. He knows that you'll be going to a church where his efforts will be lost. Where you're, He has so many reasons. These are things that we discuss in our training. So as we go forward, you need to understand, nobody, write it down, nobody can take a census of Christians in the planet. You cannot take a census of an invisible seed. That's like trying to count all of the sperm and the eggs that are in people. You can't do that. There's no census that's going to count the totality of sperm and eggs in all of the people. Not, not all of the sperm is in men, and you know men got millions, and not all of the eggs in women. So every time somebody does a census, does, they do a census based on people's declaration, not based on any real revelation or based on any real uh, observation. That you can't see Christ's spirit in people. You just can't. So people can lie and say they're Christian, and some people can be deceived thinking they're Christians, and they're not. 
because they're in church. They grew up in church. This is what my dad said. This is what my mom said. This is what my uncle did and all of that. But when you become a real Christian, you cannot stay in a false church. I promise you, you cannot stay in a false church because the spirit of God yearns to jealousy. And it's grieved. You're gr- he's grieved every time you sit up in there and act as if you are uh, one of God's children or you sit among all of, those, all of those deceivers and all of those deviants. So you'll leave. And when God gets ready to walk you out, he will do so by waking up that little seed that you got when you were just a little girl or a little boy. All of a sudden, you see God differently. All of a sudden, they're still laughing. You can't laugh any longer. They're joking. You can't joke. They're drinking and, and, and whatever. You can't. You know, people often ask me about that. So you all don't drink. I'm like, first of all, I'm too high for that. I'm too high to imbibe a lower spirit. See, I sit too high. My intelligence is too high. I am too high in God. My station and status is too high for me to imbibe, imbibe a lesser spirit. And they do call it wise and spirit. So I don't imbibe lesser spirits. I don't imbibe the demonic spirit. I don't imbibe those things because I am just too high for it. I don't need it. I know how to bring my mind into joy. I know how to bring my soul in contentment. I know how to do what Booth is supposed to do myself without Satan's concoctions and intoxication. I don't need it. I just don't. I just, and you, so you think you're too I'm too good for devils, and I'm too good for fallen spirits. I'm too good for, I'm too good for that because I, I've already passed that stage. I don't need that. See, people drink because they need to feel differently. Well, I feel great about Jesus all the time. That's why I can walk around talking about he's my sugar and he's my honey. I'm too high for that. And when I'm overtaxed, Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, does it. Because I do get overtaxed. So when they ask him, like, are you kidding me? I'm way too high over that. I don't need a daily fix to get through Jesus. I don't need that. I don't need to sit down and have taken another spirit to enjoy the meal that he's given me. I don't need that. I just don't. Now, does any other people do it? That's fine. But my Bible said bishops and kings should never, ever drink. But you don't know that either because it said it makes them pervert judgment. But that's Bible. But you have to read the scripture. And see, here's where you're stuck. You think Bible and scriptures are synonymous, and they're not. The Bible is the book that holds the scriptures. The scriptures are their God-breathed word and revelations from the mouth of the Almighty. So I don't, I don't have to do that. I'm telling you, now I, I, I will tell you that when I, before I got saved, yes, but I'm telling you, my capacity, because of me submitting myself to the wholeness and the fullness of Jesus Christ, is that I don't have to do it. And when I found out I could lay hands on people and cast their eye out, I knew I'm, I'm, I'm going to cast out somebody's eye and if I'm still high. I can't do it. Satan is not going to cast out Satan. So I don't. Now, some of you still need this. Some of you just need your fix. You just need this. You need that. Well, it's because it is a faith walk. And it's a faith walk that starts with a little bit of this and a little bit of till you eventually get there. So when they start with me, I'm looking folks and say, are you kidding? I'm not going to do that to my brain. I, my mind is too good to be drugged. I'm not going to drug my mind because it functions too well. And it's too essential. It's my work tool. My mind is my work tool. My voice is my instrument. My intelligence, my medium. I, I, I don't look at myself as somebody's got to escape this world. I, I mean, I'll be glad to leave it because of the glories that I've enjoyed with Christ, but I don't have to do that. Are you kidding? I take care of my tools. I'm an instrument. 
If you are a musician, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think it's unfortunate that that, that musicians need to be out of their mind to produce what they call good music. That says a lot about the quality and the source of their artistry. I don't have to do it. I I just, and you know, I say it all the time. I don't have to, and I don't, and I won't. So, uh, you know, when you, when we can drink wine, not me, I am, I'm too high already. I sit in too high place. I sit at round tables. I sit in chambers with the almighty. I am not taking a drug brain or drug soul in there in the presence of my God. I can't do business for him like that. Don't y'all just love me? Are, they st- are y'all still rolling with me? Because I know y'all like to have those little, uh, well, but we have, I just do a little wine over dinner. Do that. Do that until you don't need it. But you understand, you do it because you need it and because you don't think Jesus can deliver it. So you don't think Jesus is human. You don't think that he's literal, physical. So you don't think he can organically or inorganically take care of that organic issue. That's your problem. That's why we're scripturally organic, culturally modified. I don't need it. It's not a matter of what I, I'm at a point, and there is a place in Christ as my, my two partners come. There's a place in Christ. Oh, Jesus. Mm. Love this man. Where you become so internally transformed that, that not only the rules and principles of mortality have no effect on you and lose and become abolished, but you literally don't need what the mortals need. See, the purpose of Christ in you is to change you from a mortal to an immortal, from a, from a human to a human divine, and not over That's why you know all of those other religions are not Christ, because they need you to be drunk. They need you to be high. They need you to be addicted. They need you to be intoxicated. They need you to fornicate. They need you to pass on, because they they, they, they got to do something with those devils that he brought out of eternity on a failed effort. He's got to do something with them. And the something is populate them or populate the human race with them. And so he does. But he, there has to be ways because Jesus gave you your will back. So he does it through intoxication. He does it through spirits. He does it through, you will not, uh-uh, I'm not going to, now I know apostles who do. I know pastors who do, preachers. And that's their thing. They just don't sit where I sit because if they did, we wouldn't even have this discussion. So people start, I, was, I look at them stupid like, you got to be kidding. You, okay, you have got to be kidding me. We are not going to have this stupid conversation. Tell me. Because, hey, you need what you need to get through. And the fact is, I don't need what you need to get through. And that's important. Well, I have a prophet walking in the door. But this word is so good to me. <laughs> I was like, she called, I said, wait, I'm delighted. Wait. Yes, please. Okay. Right. This is too good. Oh, man. You, you just got to keep going, Kay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going to stand here and take notes, okay? I'm not, well, she's okay. going to be showing up shortly, too, and I, unless she's taking notes, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to stay. I'm just going to lean off the table so you just keep right on keeping up. But it's okay? the truth. I don't need that. I really don't. And I'm telling you, when God delivered me from all of that, he took out the very the very tolerance, the very ability to, to assimilate it in my body. I can't take it. I don't want it. And, and now that I'm at this stage, oh, you can't, I'm not going to blur my vision and blur my mind and blur my sight with some lower spirits. Those are lowest, low-class devils. I'm not doing that. 
I just won't. I won't. I promise you I won't. Now, other people can, but I promise you I will not. And, and if you don't know where you stand in God, you can't make these avowals because you don't know where you stand. I stand right beside the Almighty. We sit together. We work together. We labor together. And I'm going to go there all drugged up and, and drunk up and, and smelling of other spirits. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to take that fragrance into my God. I'm not doing it. I don't care how many say, well, I had a drink this morning and we did prayer. That's you. I said, God, I'm, I, and thank God he can purge a few things, but I am not taking it. When I go into God's presence, I go into God's presence with the sweetest fragrance he has, and that's the Holy Ghost. Ooh, don't get any sweeter than that. Right? Nope. Amen. Let me get nope. that snack in there. I understand, baby. And so, but, and I, I want you to get that because, you know, some of you all have it. They talk about how we are this or that. If you were really, really embodied by the king of glory, if you really believe that, there are a lot of things you wouldn't do just by virtue of the fact that he doesn't deserve it, that he deserves the best of you. He deserves the better side of you, and he certainly deserves a purer part of you. There are a lot of things you do because Jesus is not real to you. He's not alive to you. So that's why you do it. And it's not all your fault because some of you all have been taught out of reverencing God. You've been taught out of loving God. You've been taught out of sacrificing for God. So you've been taught by apostates because that's what's running the culture craft of church, apostates. Mm. See, that pastor craft. See, the apostates. See, that's that apostasy that's crafting the culture of Christianity that Satan needs to keep God's people enslaved. Say, I'm not doing that. I I know he's my honey. I'm going to take care of my honey. And I tell him every day, he is my honey, and I'm going to take care of him. He's going to do, I'm going to do whatever he wants. And there are days that I'm really, really, really good at this, and then there are days that I'm really, really better. And then there are days that I'm superb. But I'm never trying to be the worst he has. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to slide in the home base, baby. I'm strutting on the mound. I'm certainly not going to be that woman. And I'm going to keep saying it because you know what? I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you words. I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you conviction because a lot of you agree with that. You just didn't have a reason to know. You didn't think anybody could live this thing like that. You better watch me, baby, because I'm going to live me some Jesus Christ. I'm going to live this man up to the front, down the back. I'm going to live him in the morning. I'm going to live him all day long. I'm going to live him in the restaurant. I'm going to live him in, in the hotel. I'm going to live this man for Jesus Christ because he is my honey, but he's worthy. And you know he's worthy. And you need to share this with everybody. Yes. See, people are trying to live like Jesus. I'm living Jesus. I am the walking, talking, living, breathing. Yes, I am. That's why he's in me. And, I, I, and you know how he got there? This word. I kept reading it until it stopped being print and became a person. And I'm living the person who authored this, the yes. author and finisher of my faith. Yes, I am. I'm going to live this man's sugar pie, Jesus. I'm going to sing songs to Yes, I am. I'm, yes, I am. I love him up in the morning. Open my eyes. Good morning, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I'm going to go to bed at night, Jesus. You know you're a sugar. When he starts, I'll say, look at you being all almighty and stuff showing off. Yes, go ahead. Show yourself. I want him to feel that because he needs that kind of affection because praise is affection. Yeah. That's, that's your love touch. Praise is affection. Yeah. It's not just a worship instrument. You know, it's the, it's the, it literally, it's the worship of the object of your affection. Yeah. And I, let me tell you, he likes a lot of affection, so I give him a bunch of it. Yes, I do. Sometimes I'm just sitting around people talking. I'm just going on and just start caressing them with praise. Yes, I do. Love them up. <laughs> well, I do. And then I come, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. 
Or just busy? <laughs> Hallelujah. Mm. Me and Jesus, we have secret displays of affection. Mm. My honey. And you know what? I want billions of people talking about him just like that. That is my goal. Billions of people wanting to pour out their love and affection on him because he's worth it. Willing to go back to the reverence station instead of staying in the revelry of the world. I want this man to have it all. If I, and I told him, I said, if I was you, I'd give it all to you because you are worthy. You are worthy. Because I'm going to tell you something. When this is all said and done. Jesus not taking trash home. He's going to take out the garbage, but he's not taking it to him. Honey, he's going to take out the garbage, but he's not taking it to him. <laughs> but you got to love him. And he won't show. He said he shows himself. Didn't he say that? He said, he makes the decision to reveal himself. So he decided to reveal himself to me, and I cherished it. I cherished it. I didn't treat it like a testimony. I didn't treat it like a, 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 a what do you call it, inspiration for a song. Are you kidding? I just wrapped myself around him. I said, tag you it, because you aren't going anywhere, because I'm going to wrap myself around you. You want to know what your waist I'm going to be your waistband. Watch. Wrap myself around you. Yes, I am. I tell him that all the time. It's the truth. And he knows it. And if I act as if I'm even wavering a little bit because he's, he has such an iron grip, he's like, oh, no, no. You gave yourself to me. I'm going to have this. And I did. I said, take all of it. You left something. Come back and get this. Isn't that powerful? Come on, you got to admit, he's a honey man. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Baby, on your worst day, you're like, Jesus, it hurts so bad, but I love you, Lord. Oh, God, my Lord, I thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all this with them. Uh-uh, that man pulled you up in us. That's why I don't need booze. Come on now. Because those are lower devils and lower spirits. I love it. And I don't take love. I'm telling you right now. So don't tell me. You could, don't go out here and talk about I'm legalistic because I'm intelligent. This is an intelligent answer. It's not just a religious answer. This is an intelligent answer. This is a loyalty answer. This is an allegiant answer. This is a faithful answer because I am not going to bring lower devils and lower spirits into my God's presence. I'm not doing it. I don't care what your problem is. So if you want to be delivered from your alcoholism, you better play this ten times. I tr- trust me, your devil going to leave because your God's going to take over. Well, I'm all right. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm on a mission. I'm on. You more than all right today. Yes, he's my honey. Yes, I love this man. Okay, I'm gonna shut up. No, I want you to do some blue. You got some blue. You got some stuff. Uh, I don't know. I, I I just want to pick up on where you just were. I love how you talked about the subject of drinking today, and just a lot of those other things that we as Christians tend to put under. The, the column of preference, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. this is my preference. Well, I'm a Christian that's a little more free than my other brother over here. So I, I engage in this activity because I'm just a little more free in my expression of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I just love, I don't know, talk more on that. I love how you You're not free, that. you slumming. Because oh. <laughs> where you go? You go into slummy places to get something that's made of yeast that is fermented. You're slumming with fermentation. Don't mess with me. I'm telling you, where you can go on my with the way he said a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Why do you leaven stuff with fermentation? I think it's ironic that 
organic that we talk about alcoholism and, and, and those types of things, or I should say alcohol before we even get to the other. But alcohol is as a means of being free when it leads you to an addiction or when you do engage in it to that maximum you're no longer in control of yourself. No. Yeah. And that's why I think it's irony that oh. we do it to show that yeah. we're in control, that we're liberated, we're free, but we're, we're, we're not. engaging in, in, in things that when we are fully there, I mean, even when you think about sexual activity, what do we say? I don't know. So how did it happen? We don't know how it happened. Everybody acts like in that moment you're out of control of yourself. Because you are. And that's what I wanted to say, is that are we really being liberated uh, mm-hmm. in that moment? Is it a liberal thing that we're engaging in, or are we subjecting ourselves to something else to control us? To con- mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, and, and, and putting Christ off the side of the rope. You know, okay, excuse me, Jesus, I got to do this. Turn your head, Lord. Mm-hmm. First of all, God turned every head he got. It's not going to matter. Because he saw, he's seen it beforehand. But I like that yeah. when we talk about, and that's what even Peter said that while they promise them liberty, liberty. they exactly. bring them they into another bond, another, another kind of captivity. So you're free to destroy your body, and free to destroy the body that is inhabited by the Holy Ghost, which means you are His temple. You're free to destroy your temple. Mm-hmm. And then when you have to deal with the diseases and all of the other uncleanness that you have brought into your temple that dirty it up, now you, now you want God to come out the closet. That's amazing. Uh-uh. He said, you sow to the flesh. You will of the flesh reap corruption, meaning I'll let you run. That's real good. Well, even the disease is out of, causes you to be out of control. Oh, exactly. like every, I, I just think that it's irony that the yeah. enemy, you know, deceives us that way into saying that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be liberated, that any Christian who lives like this, okay, mm-hmm. is controlled. You're being controlled. And it's like, okay, so uh, I can exercise my liberty to go drink and I'll have alcohol mm-hmm. control me. I can go use my liberty yeah. to go have sex and now uh, that, act, that act is controlling me or the person I'm engaged with mm-hmm. in that act is controlling me. Mm-hmm. And then when I do end up with a consequence like a disease, the disease is now controlling, controlling me. me. So I just think but it's free. But I'm, yeah, but free it goes back to what she said about yeah. weeks ago, that the only thing that sin frees you from is Christ. Exactly. Because everything else is as a legitimate right, right? a yeah. legal authority. And so when you, when you backstep into your other God's authority, then you backstep into every consequence and judgment God put on that spirit. That's, good. That's, good. That's real good. Mm-hmm. You know, because those spirits come to bring God's judgment. You think God's judgment is, okay, somebody's going to stand up and prophesy and pronounce it. That may happen. But when they do, God executes everything by a spiritual being. Not an inanimate and not an autonomic object. A being carries out what he said, which is why when I quoted that scripture and said, he who is often corrected and stiffens his neck or hardens his neck, evil angels. Now, they changed it in in the Bible because they don't want y'all to be scared. But when you do your homework, it's angels. Evil angels will be sent to you. So that is why you go immediately into bondage because you rebel, you stiffen your neck. So you literally... You authorized the judgment of the seducing spirit who ceases to be a seducer now and now becomes a warden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To see to it, you live out that judgment. So that, because wow. that's the job. See, judgment was not in Adam. God already told Adam in the garden, mm-hmm. are you all following me? Are you all following me? Is this making sense? Mm-hmm. Come on, you know, let me know that this is speaking to you. She said, oh, they are. I was like, because, when, see, you wonder how sin happens. 
Sin was in the world. I love that scripture. I used to read that in Romans 5. It said sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed if there is no law. Right, 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 right. I said, huh. So I used to think that that only went back as far as the law of Moses. Correct. Yeah, that's true. They taught us that. They did. So we know that. Mm -hmm. But what I learned was that when God was replenishing the earth, sin was in the world. Mm -hmm. The world had yet to be born, but the sin was in the world. Why? Because sin was in the tree, sin was in the serpent, and the serpent released it in the tree sap. Mm -hmm. So that's why that tree was deadly. It wasn't just deadly because God forbade them to eat from it. Right. Oh, I got a hit. That is. That was good. That is. Holly. I like it. All of it. Yes. You know, Prophet Ashley likes to. Yeah. Because you got to feel it. <laughs> so the sin was in the world even as God was replenishing it. Because earth was Satan's prison. Mm -hmm. It was the prison of when Jesus saw, saw him fall, where did he fall? Down to earth. Mm -hmm. That's why you have so many movies and so many Marvel comics and Superman and all of those things because Satan is telling his story as if he's the hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good, that's good. And he's the villain. And, as, and also, as if villainy triumphs over righteousness and truth. Mm, mm, mm. So he's telling this story like this, and, and, and Jesus says, so if he, he said, you know, Jesus, we're going to take this battle to the planet. He brought the battle to Satan because couldn't, Satan could not come back and finish it in return. <laughs> so he brought the battle to him. He said, I'm going to bring this fight to you. I love it. And he did. Yeah, man, that's good. So here we go. Loving this man, sugar punches. Just thought I'd give him a little affection. Every now and then, just give him a little affection. He likes that. God's an affectionate God, very affectionate. So he, Jesus brings the fight to earth. And while they're tangling on earth, what you don't see as you look at the cross is them falling and tumbling into hell to finish the fight. So the sin was in the world, and death was in the world, which is why the earth was beneath water, without form, and darkness was on the planet. Six billion or however many billion angels, whatever that means, are covering the planet, and God arrests them in the tree. He binds them to a tree, lets you know how big they must be. Um, it's another, let me drink something. I'm just saying. <laughs> but is that almost the catalyst for why nature worship too? Because and, of them being in that tree. And that tree was Satan had, well, he, well, this is his planet. I mean, this is his prison. And God turned his prison, a planet, which he wants, well, we'll talk about that. But he turned his prison mm -hmm. into a planet and then inseminated it with a new population. Mm -hmm. So Jesus says, God says to him, listen, of every tree, which means he purged everything mm -hmm. of every tree and every shrub you may eat, any herb in the garden, have it. Now, we don't know what was outside the garden. We just know what the garden was like. Mm -hmm. 
because clearly outside the garden it wasn't as pretty and lush. Otherwise they would have, um, you know, right. acted differently when they fell. So there's a garden. So he, he created a garden. Now to us a garden could be our little patch in the backyard, but in God a garden could be a continent. They are very huge. So he said in the garden, he said, now you can eat anything you want. But where did he station the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Wasn't it in the midst? In the midst. And he said, now it had to be different. And God, for it to be a true uh, test, it had to be more appealing and more compelling than everything else in that garden. Had to be. And so, and he's got all of these animals running around, and this is great, and this, and, you know, the monkeys are swinging the carrion on. And he says to Adam, you can eat anything you want. You can eat it over and over again. No matter, every day you eat, you'll just get better and, better and stronger. However, if you eat from the fruit of the what? The tree of the knowledge of. Now, I want to say something. This is so powerful. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't find out until Genesis 3 that that's the God tree. For lo, the man has become like us, which is another reason for nature worship, because they think it's in a tree. And so, because they think the earth produced that tree. So he said, in the day that you eat thereof, you will die. Like God's die, you will become mortal, which is what he did with Satan. He made him mortal, which is why he can only reproduce mortality. So in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Took 930 years for death to get Adam off the planet. But Adam died immediately, as God had said. What died? The divine side of him. And he became a mortal being. So now he didn't have to eat, you know? He didn't. He didn't. He could have just gone on, continue munching at all the restaurants at his disposal. He had all kinds of restaurants, eateries, food trucks. He had everything. <laughs> he had, didn't he? He could have continued to eat at all of that. But he chose to challenge God's wisdom. So before he ate, see, before you fall, you're educated. Devils educate you to fall. So he got educated. He got an education in the knowledge of good and evil. You know, people, we act as if Adam was tricked. The Bible said the man was not deceived. He knew everything that that, that that serpent said. He understood it because he came from the guts of God. He understood it because you often think, well, God's certainly not going to condemn so-and-so. They don't know any better. Adam was not made a baby because if he was made a baby, he would have needed parents to take care of him and to raise him and nurture him. He came for a full-grown, fully a replicant of the Almighty. Because, you know, you got those religions that say, well, he was just a baby. That's why he didn't know anybody. No, he was grown. He was good and grown. And he sat there, and he went to that tree with his wife every single day. 
He's God visiting in the cool of the day, and in the morning, they over there at the tree getting classes on the knowledge of good and evil, munching, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with God. And they just munching. Really? Wow. And she's wild. Adam is not. So you need to get it. Eve was wild because Adam was the one that spent all of that time with God before God created Eve. So Adam knew that tree, he knew that serpent, he knew that why God said what he said, but then God messed around and gave him a woman. That spouse will get you. I'm telling you, that spouse will get you good. So he messed around and gives him a woman. And she was not in those classes that God had with Adam. Just like the rest of the, the, of the of disciples of Christ were not in those apostle classes. God, when God's going to make you a ruler, a huge ruler, you and God are in class alone. Moses was in class with God alone. You can tell how great you're going to be by how much God isolates you. And in the culture crafted church's mind, you are religious if you allow God to isolate you. When Moses got tired of the people, what did God say? You need to move away from them because they're going to mess up what I did with you. Yeah. When he got when when God was finished with Nina, he said, "Come on, son, you cannot go back there because what I've done with you is too high and too great. So I'm gonna get you out right now. You're gonna be on my team. This is a whole other class. So I'm gonna, be, I'm, gonna I'm gonna wrap it up. Now I got two prophets, two you know, and you know, chief, chief carrier flame. Okay, and so so." Adam is sitting there listening to this serpent lie to his wife when he knows it's a lie. Oh, somebody didn't catch me. Let me just. Yeah. You hear me? Okay. There you go. Lie to his wife. Because <laughs> She's like, you're not going to get off that stuff. He did it just to please her. He did it to please her. He did it because everything that prior to Eve being brought out of him, his wife, because she wasn't yet Eve. She didn't become Eve until they fell. So she just, she was Adam's wife, Adam. And so because he called Adam, they both came. But he saw all of those creatures that God made. And he saw that they were paired. And he felt that if he did not, yield to his wife, he would be alone again. Mm -hmm. And he forgot how much companionship he had with Christ. Because remember, God had to make all of those creatures, every one of those animals, he had to hand make them. And he said he went, he made them, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. That was an extensive period of time. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, God still going to have a Sabbath. And so, and, and so he is literally educating Adam as Adam is naming these things. He's watching his encoded education of Adam and Adam's intelligence become triggered and activated and energized until it's elevated so he can name every creature according to what God had in mind. We call them gorillas and apes today. That's not what Adam saw because wow. Adam came directly out of God's being and then spent his first day of life with God. And then comes to the planet, and he has he and God are one are together. Can you imagine? Because we don't think like that. 
We think, well, you, I always crack up and they say, well, you know, God says it's not good for man to be alone. Yeah, but that was after the man and God had been together a long time, and it took Adam a while to realize that he did not have anything that looked like him or acted like him. He had nothing to correct, nothing, no companionship, and nothing to reproduce, because you assume reproduction didn't happen with those animals. That was an assumption. So Adam said, wait a minute, I don't have nothing. No, my, where's mine? And at that time, it was time for the test. I would imagine that in God, God knew that at the moment he presented this man with his wife, it was over. And so the rest is just played out. We're just walking out because we've got now, we assumed there was only Adam and Eve in that garden and those animals. Because our garden was full, full of, wasn't it filled with animals? And then we had the tree and then we have the serpent who has his population outside the garden waiting to get in. Isn't that powerful? So as he's waiting, so this woman is going, and he's like, yeah, but see, this is, I, I, I don't have another one. He could not believe God for a better version of the wife he got. See, promotion awaited Adam if he had just believed God. He would have been elevated to that Christ status, which was his calling. And God would have given him the wife that was more suitable to him. The fact that the woman was, was drawn more to a serpent in a tree than her husband says that there was a flaw in this girl. She was the hangout girl. I'm the party girl. I'm the hangout girl. I'm the, I'm the scholar. I'm the one that's got to go and get deep knowledge and deep information. Now, she obviously, Adam was talking to her. He was obviously talking to her. But by the you stay in you, let me tell you something. You visit the devil's camp one time too many. You begin to think he's got some credibility. Come on. And you begin to think that some of those lies are credible. That's how you know the whole strategy with the church. Well, you need an open mind. Are you kidding me? Open to what? And now, and yoga requires you to have an empty mind. My God. So you want you went from having an open mind to an empty mind. Why? Because you don't know the backstory. Come on. Come on. Ooh. No, I was going to say that's very, very true that I think how we ended up getting into some of the place today where we become this culture crafted is the fact that where you're told that mm-hmm. in order for you to do uh, good evangelism is that you have to understand everybody's perspective and, mm-hmm. you know, be open to their point of view and open to what they're thinking um, and not necessarily uh, guarding your own. Mm-hmm. And when you step into that posture, uh, it immediately, the whole idea of being open to somebody else's view means that you have to leave room for doubt about your own. Exactly. And I think or create room. Right, or, or create Because yeah. some people, maybe not, like you said, mm-hmm. you said earlier about some of the people who were talked out of, you know, a lot of the things that they knew instinctually that mm-hmm. were being taught by the Holy Ghost or grafted, engrafted by the Holy Ghost, you know, about God. And then you get into environments that say you have to be open, but openness means that there's got to be room to create or accept doubt about your own. So you walk into a situation to convert somebody mm-hmm. and you yourself end up walking away inseminated with something mm-hmm. just so that you can say that you were open and listening and, and, uh, uh, and right. Of- to their person, yeah, to their to their perspective, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. That you're giving that kind of credence to their perspective. So I think that that's a very, it, it is very dangerous. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with allowing people to talk 
mm-hmm. and allowing them to share what they are, whatever, as long as you're going into the situation knowing what mm-hmm. you're there to do. Because clearly, what I, it, what I enjoy about listening to people talk is that you get to find out where they really stuck. And where they're going to stick you. And where they're going to stick you and what the root of their straw man is. But, but to go in there with the mentality that I, I don't have it all. Mm-hmm. I don't know it all mm-hmm. or perhaps know anything. Mm-hmm. And I need to you know, be open to them plugging in or filling in something that is a deficiency in my own relationship with Christ, mm-hmm. that's pretty scary. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you brought that. Did you want to say something? No. Uh, it's interesting that you said that because most evangelists go in not knowing who they are and who Christ is because they're going to share a testimony. Yeah. They're going to share their experience. Exactly. They're going to share Jesus. But right. they don't know anything. That's why sending kids out to evangelize is a guaranteed sabotage. Because they don't know anything, and they don't haven't built anything, and so that you're gonna, they're gonna go in seeking the gaps in their faith from paganism, right. from idolatry. See, right. I, I say to people all the time, and I thank God for my team because I say to them all the time, I don't have questions about that. I don't. I literally do not. Now, why? Because God kept me in His classroom and under his tutelage long enough to caulk any gap in my faith and in my Christianity with his truth. I am caulked. All of those souls in my holes in my soul, holes in my God caulked it with his truth. So in that stuff, obviously caulking goes in very wet and soft, but it hardens and it began to fill those gaps. So I don't have them. Now, if you ask me, do I know everything God knows? Absolutely not. But you know what? I know him enough to get it out of him. But there, you said something very powerful, Dr. Price. You went into your relationship, which is how you became this way. You went into your relationship with God. You entered your Christianity believing that you made the right choice. Oh, yeah. Right? And that, it, that you were dealing with the truth and in God was the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that the problem with a lot of us, we don't go in with that level of bias. Mm-hmm. We right. go in with a, a large degree of skepticism. Well, I'll see. Well, I'll try this. Well, I'll go by so-and-so's mm-hmm. testimony mm-hmm. And, and see if this will work for me. But we don't go in with that that grip of truth like that. Well, we know that God is true. So you, throughout your entire journey, have always believed that all the answers were in Christ, whether you knew them at the time, understood them at the time, needed to discover or mm-hmm. research them. You went in knowing that Christ was the truth and he, he had the answer to all things. And not mm-hmm. every Christian today, especially the culture crafted church, how we got here is because pastors started to say from pulpits that yes. all of the answers were not in Christ and right. that there are some things that you can find outside of Christianity or the Bible, when in essence, what they're really saying is that there are answers beyond my revelation. Yeah, and but, I but think they thought it, they heard it differently. Right, yeah, we yeah. need to separate that. Well, and even the pastors heard it differently. But, so mm-hmm. they're saying the answers aren't in Christ, not realizing that, no, the answers are in Christ, and you yourself need, don't have the revelation of it. And you're not deep enough in Christ for him to give them to Exactly. So and now you're, you're now perpetuating this or purporting this to your congregation, and so they start feeling more free to listen and be open to their, you know, Muslim friends' views or their whomever friends' mm-hmm. views or perspective, and that's how we end up with all of these, this intermixture and constant miscegenation because the leadership is not convinced no. that all of the answers are in God. They so, never were. Well, it started being, being, you talked earlier about how Christians back in the day were persuaded, convinced, emphatic, and I think that what, we, what happens 
culture started attaching arrogance to mm-hmm. that persuasion, you know, arrogance to being emphatic, you know, that's mm-hmm. arrogance. Mm-hmm. So then from the pulpit mm-hmm. that us believing that we knew, knew it all as Christians or us believing that we had the superior God became a point of arrogance. Oh, yeah. It's Christian arrogance. Mm-hmm. So then you started getting from pulpits, well, you know, it's not that God thinks that he's, mm-hmm. okay, and this, we start getting that kind of teaching. Mm-hmm. It's not that we as Christians have all the answers because no one has all the answers. I don't have all the answers. And so I think that that is part of how that happened, that Christian arrogance thing yeah. and how we started labeling our persuasion, labeling our being unmovable mm-hmm. to our being intolerant, to us being not open, to mm-hmm. us being arrogant. And I think that's where that comes from. Well, mess with me. If you are listening today, I want you to write it down. I am arrogant about Jesus Christ. And you know why? Because you don't have to be obnoxious to be arrogant. I do think God said he came to save everybody. He came to save whatever. He didn't come to save save a religion. So God will save a person. He he not, not he will never save Islam, but he will save Muslims. He will never save Buddhists, save a, a Brahma, a Buddha, or Brahma, but he will save Buddhists and Hindus. He will never. I'm telling you that God is not about a religion, not even ours. We are not a religion. We are literally members of the body of Jesus Christ, and yes. Paul faced that same thing. He said, if I'm going to boast about anything, so you know, from that to make that statement, they were arrogant, they were at, at mad with him because he was so emphatic and so clear and so decisive about Jesus Christ. He said, yeah, he said, but if I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in God. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in God. And I'm going to tell you right now, we have all the answers by the new creation. What we don't have is access to it. We got everything that God wants, because Adam had it. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How are you going to talk about we dense and dumb? We just don't have access, and God has not given us the the apparatus, nor has, well, he did give us the apparatus and the soul, but he has not given us the instructions and the, and the access codes and methods. See, we don't have access codes. So it takes a while because you have to convince Jesus that you're worth him unveiling himself to you. You're worth him just uh, opening up his archives and that you're not going to go in and and sell it to enemies and teach it to to all these other folks. There's a lot of things I've never said and will never say. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to call me whatever you want. I am intolerant of devils. I am intolerant of demons. I'm intolerant of lies. I'm intolerant of afflictions. I'm intolerant about, as a matter of fact, I would venture to say most of us, we're all intolerant about the same thing. It's the reason we're intolerant that we have to resolve. That's very good. But you know what, by having this, and I wrote that down for myself, and said how Paul boasted Christ. Uh, and, and, and he did. He boasted very, very, and he did. He defended Christ. He defended his apostleship in Christ. He defended who Christ was on the inside of him. But by doing so, by you having that staunch attitude, yeah. you end up finding, finding answers. I remember getting uh, uh, grilled in college about things I did not, you know, understand wholeheartedly at that time about scripture and people, you know, literally coming mm-hmm. after me about, well, what is the Bible say about this and what about that and what about the other thing? Me being fully persuaded because I was taught to growing up that Christ was right, mm-hmm. okay, allowed me to ultimately find those answers yeah. because I never once bought into their pressure about me not being able to give them an answer in that moment in Scripture, but having that conviction and, and, and that persuasion that, no, God's right. And I would just say, no, God, 
You're right. Yeah, you have to show me the answer. Mm-hmm. And, and I love what you used to say growing up. Now, God, you need to show me the lie in this because right. I already know that they lie. So let me show show me the lie. Show me the fallacy. Show me the error. Show me all of those things. So you would uh, you would press God to do that because you were already persuaded that he was right mm-hmm. and that that he uh, had the, not even just had the answers. You know, but mm-hmm. that he was the, uh, what's what I'm looking for? He was the, mm-hmm. the, right, he is the answer, the only answer. I was thinking mm-hmm. of a, a greater word than that, actually, but that he is the solution, yes. you know, to it. And buying into the fact that, no, 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 he's the solution. He is the reason why we, you know, are doing this. So that persuasion and that mm-hmm. attitude causes you to get to the revelation or get to that point of accessing mm-hmm. it, especially if you keep your guards up and not buying into their pressure and not buying into that whole attitude that because you can't respond to somebody in the moment with their because of their unbelief that somehow mm-hmm. what you're believing in mm-hmm. needs to be rethought. Because they don't get it. Exactly. I know that's true. And I think that, you know what I mean? And I think that that's, I know that's, of, true. that's what we do. We end up getting so confused, right? Yes. <laughs> but, but isn't that the truth? Oh, yeah. You know, oh, but yeah. for me, and that's how I, God and I got it. I never in my whole life have I ever, in all my Christianity, probably my whole life, ever thought God was wrong. I just never did. No, and I never felt that people's unbelief was more powerful and, and, and that it superseded my faith. I was like, just because you don't believe in me, my faith is wrong. Right. Right. I was that kind of person, though. But I was does. like, well, what makes you right and me wrong when I'm content and you're asking? See, I'm not asking you questions. You're asking me. See, I don't, you, can, you can count the number of times when it comes to this subject and this man called Christ Jesus. People out there all around the country will tell you you can count the number of times I've ever asked a question about Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't because I feel like if I need to find out about him, I need to go to him. Mm-hmm. I need to read his word. Yes, he, I mean, yes, because you're convinced yes. the answer's in mm-hmm. well, And that's, that's strength, too, because weakness is always looking for a reason to quit. And strength is always going to <laughs> justify continuing. Okay? Yeah, so when, when, you're dealing with, when, you're, when you're dealing with weakness mm-hmm. with Christians, they're always looking for where the nearest exit is. So it's like, I'm going to be here today, but I got my eye on the exit sign. And if I just hear one thing that I'm dissatisfied with, I'm, I'm out. out the door. I'm out. You know, and you said Christianity was for the strong. Uh-huh. You know, and I think that the more we understand, the more I understand why. Mm-hmm. You know, weakness is always looking for the exit, mm-hmm. the exit sign. Always. Hit that. Come on, hit something. Flames. Yes. I have to get you a I have to get two things Yes, today. today. And, 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 and that was my attitude. My attitude is if you're looking to stay, then you're going to find reasons to stay. You're looking to flee, you're going to find reasons to flee. Yeah. Either way, it is your thing. I am not weakened by your unbelief. I am not weakened by your doubt. I, as a matter of fact, I'm encouraged because I got the answers you yet have to find. I am in love with this man. And when you love somebody, they open their heart to you. They open their, they, I lo- and I don't love Jesus on my terms. I don't love him according to the mushiness of the world. I love Jesus Christ on Jesus' terms for who he is and based on who he has revealed himself to be to me. I can go in here, and even if I don't have the Bible, I may not be able to give you every chapter and verse, but I can give you his character, and I can give you his personality, and you will find it in this book. This yes. man is amazing. He yes. is a sweetheart, and you know, and he has a whole kingdom. Can you imagine? It's not just Jesus, but his whole family is like that. Those angels don't walk around saying, you think the most I got this? Right. You think I can handle this? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, hope we don't have another one of those. Oh, 
Are you kidding? They fight for Jesus' truth because they know truth and Jesus are one and the same. Truth is a person. Truth was a person before it became a principle and before it became a virtue. It was it's a person. I deal with the person of truth, the personage of truth, because it was a person long before it became a principle, long before it became the practice yes. or virtue. It is real. God, Jesus cannot lie. God cannot lie. God who cannot lie. He cannot err. He can, God can't even even fantasize. God's envisions. He seeks. He sees, and he because he knows all things. So when you think about it, I I never got locked into doctrines and theologies because they had to match the persona or the personality of the author of scripture for me, not just the printed text. That's why I can look, I can handle the translation and tell you that that's not God. I can tell you God's not it. That's a human translation. I can tell you it's not God, and I can tell you why. I think that's a powerful statement yeah. because we've been taught to handle nothing but the paper oh, and no. not the personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. not well, because okay. even even the even this whole you know wave you know that hit in the, the in late eighties and the nineties about it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Mm-hmm. Even still, we we were not having relationship, or even if we were thinking about having a relationship with the person, when we never thought about Jesus Christ with his actual personality, we don't ascribe a personality, a doctrine, uh-huh. yes, a letter of the law, a belief system, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some commandments, some whatever, but we don't actually ascribe a personality, which is why when we enter into situations in which the, the it's not printed in the paper or mm-hmm. spelled out the, the exact way we're living it in a situation in the letter, we don't know how to make intelligent decisions. Mm-hmm. I can make intelligent decisions about you when you're not here because I know your personality. We know right. your person. Right. Our years of being here, working with you for almost 20 years, we can go and say, oh, no, Dr. Price is not going mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, to yeah. do that. And yeah. we're not doing it based on the bylaws of the company, mm-hmm. the constitution of New Era Apostleship or, you know, anything else that you printed or even the books that you've written yeah. because you've written a dictionary. You wrote the handbook. But when we're actually sitting on calls and we're talking to our clients and we're doing mm. advisement, we're doing it based on boom. Yeah. So do you think that Dr. Christ, nope, let me tell you what she's going to be at on this. Why? <laughs> right. Because now it's our living dynamic mm-hmm. that is driving or motivating what we're doing, not the printed thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people out there may be teaching your work, but they're doing it by the print. Mm-hmm. And when they come to an event or they watch you here, like you all are doing right now, watch you here, they see the personality and they go back and re-look at what you wrote and yeah. say, oh yeah, now I know what she meant by that. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they can add that living dynamic to it. But I, I think that that's where we get stuck in. Why? we also fell into a culture crafting mm-hmm. because we were dealing with what was print, what was doctrine, and what that was our belief attack. system. Yes, and now, and we didn't have that for all of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't know his personality. Mm-hmm. Right no, we don't know his personality at all. And that's, 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 that's a good word. Come, hold on. <laughs> you got to today. Hold on. <laughs> and wait a minute, we got to boom, and we're going to swim because that, 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 Jesus. Honey man, Jesus. And that's good. Is it the truth? Yeah. Because I look at you. Isn't that, what, isn't that, I mean, I look yeah. at people say, why is she so convinced? Why is she so strong? Because you've always dealt with the personality, of the Jesus. personhood, yeah. and then the, the personification of him. Exactly. Well, and, and, and the truth is, you, you just described what the Bible means when it says living word. Mm. See, words live on paper as the thoughts of an author. Mm-hmm. So the living word is not just how you how you want to live it out. Mm-hmm. The living word is how the author's 
lifestyle the author's experience that the, that were committed to print for you to eventually absorb in your own soul, your own heart or mind as a new lifestyle. Yeah. See, Jesus did not write to teach you how to sin. He wrote to teach you how to avoid it, but he wrote to, to, wrote to teach you how to avoid sin by becoming like him. Mm-hmm. And you lost that. See, we lost that because all of a sudden humans mm-hmm. decided. See, you got it. See, mm-hmm. see, all of a sudden humans decided. Mm-hmm. Humans decided what it meant to live out the Christ life. Yeah, yeah. And told you these pieces in the Bible don't pay any attention to yeah. them. We ignore them. Those are legalistic. Those are man-made. So the literally the editors literally edited out the author's persona. You just killed it. Come on. I'm just mm-hmm. ahead. You know what? First, no, this is what we got to do today, y'all. Because see, there's sometimes, y'all remember back in the day when you just had to do wave off right <laughs> <laughs> The atmosphere is so intense. You know what I mean? Existed. 
He has a life. He has a purpose. And he was affected by everything that happened in his planet. And these are the effects of it. And the largest effect is I sent my only begotten son. Jesus is Lord. Who knew no sin. And I made him sin so that you all can become our righteousness in him. Don't mess with me. Boom, boom, climb it. Go ahead. We're hitting everything today. Hitting it. Because, see, you are taught that the Old Testament doesn't matter because the, uh, because you see it only as a law. There's a, a ten more steps in that Old Testament than the laws. And the writings of the prophets are the best scribe that God had. But they literally told you what this invisible, this inaudible, this mysterious God lived and experienced as creator. I brought something into existence and it turned on me. I breathed the breath of life in a creature and a creature who betrayed me. I brought a nation out of captivity. He said, and they evicted me. I'm telling you, this is not about a law. This is about our God who lived through hell and still won't let us go. You don't know this man. The man Christ Jesus. Jesus, we I'm telling you, and I did all of that knowing exactly how it was going to turn out. But because you were in me, I wanted to give you existence. I wanted to give you life. I wanted to bring another species out that could know what it is to live outside of me. My God. So that's why I don't believe in testament. Because there's no such thing as testament. There is the story there is the memoir, the record, the history, the chronicles, the I'm telling you. See, I don't read the Bible like that. I don't read it like this is the law and this is great. I do not. Law and grace are just a piece of this thing. I read it that this God, this sweetheart, this loving God who had nothing whatsoever to gain from our success or failure, but chose, chose us in him. And so he comes all the way down and he records for our knowledge how all of the ways people abuse him, all of the ways people misuse him, all of the ways he's attacked, all of the ways the devils are starving people, and every one of the ways that caused him to be long-suffering and said, but in the end, I'm going to have me a people. And I'm telling you, my people are going to join my civilization that has existed before time. He said, and I will repopulate this earth with what I want. And once and for all, I'm going to get rid of this negative, destructive, deviant force so that I can again enjoy my handiwork with peace. Mm. My honey. Mm. See, I don't care what they tell you about me. Yes, I am strong, and I'm going to be strong. I promise you I'm going to get stronger every day. So you might as well get geared up because that's where I'm going. But I'll tell you, the reason I am is because Jesus revealed himself to me, and he said, and if I like what I, how you handle revelation of me, the Christ, then I will reveal, you, reveal my Father to you. Woo! Jesus. But first I got to see how you're going to treat me. Oh, my mind. And then I'll talk okay. about letting you handle my father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hit the bell, baby. You can hit the bell. There you go. See, that's why when, ah! when, when I teach God, I'm not teaching you just, well, you know, there are 66 books in the Bible. Now, 66, that's where we stopped at 66. 
There are probably three million and sixty-six documents that God has disseminated distrib- throughout the earth and distributed. But we got the sixty-six. And let me tell you something. I told you the Bible and the scriptures are two different things. The scriptures are what God authored. The Bible is what man compiled. Which, oh, first of all, that's that you you know we could go down the street on that. I know, what I'm saying, but I'm I know saying, it. So there are a ton of scriptures, huh, oh. whether they've been compiled in or this not. book or not. No, oh. and that's just something to say. And I get the expediency of this, and you know, of course, I know that that whole I concept that you can't find everything in the Bible. We found everything we need to do Jesus Christ in there or representation thereof, and I do understand that. But they want to get instructions. Well, like somebody wrote, text me. He, he might be watching online, but he texted me and said that a friend of his said, well, we can get engaged in all kinds of interesting uh, moral issues, okay, because the Bible doesn't directly address these things, so that you just have to go by whatever's in your conscience about what you think is right or wrong. Oh, so he said that the Bible don't really address lottery, and, uh-huh. and okay, it's yeah. not in there. So because he doesn't literally use the word lottery. Mm-hmm that it's okay for us to engage in this behavior because it's not expressly printed down. But let me just tell you something, sweetheart. If you're listening, I'm answering you personally, okay? God does not have to address lottery, but he does address foolish use of our funds. He does address games of chance. He does address casinos as temples of thievery and robbery. He addresses temples like that. And the casino is a temple. Gambling is a ritual, which is why it's addictive. Lottery is gambling, and it's addictive. So God talks about addictions, or he talks about being enslaved and captivity. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care what anybody says. God addresses everything on the basis of these things. If you have a pen, write them down. Number one, he addresses everything on the basis of sin and righteousness. He bases everything, he addresses everything on the basis of lie and truth. He addresses everything on the basis of light and darkness. And above all, he addresses everything on the basis of Satan and Christ. So if Christ didn't come up with lottery, then Satan did. I think your answer is in that. Oh, yeah. Well, because it, it, it's terrible, the things that uh, Christians will get themselves in bondage to because it's not specifically. But, again, and, and, but to do this, let's go back to what we said moments ago. To do this, you have got to deal with the fact that you're working with a person. The person. The, if, you, if, you're, if you're dealing with a religion, then, of course, or a law, mm-hmm. the law, if you think about our own Constitution, we get very tit for tat. Mm-hmm. Well, the Constitution didn't expressly say, so it leaves room for this kind of interpretation. Mm-hmm. So that's how we get when we're dealing with our print of our government. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that our government rests upon the shoulders of a person in the kingdom, we have to come back to the fact that we're dealing with this. And if you're uh, going through Scripture dealing with looking for how you can please a person and not outmaneuver a law or a doctrine to get away with something, find a clause, you know, an amendment. Or bend him to your will. Right, or try to bend him to your will, right, because it's, it's after we manipulate his law, get in trouble, face the consequences.
consequence that we want to bend him to our will. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that's typically when he starts becoming real mm-hmm. again, and then we want to, you know, we want to bend him and manipulate them with these grace and mercy things. But I think that that you can you yeah. can walk these four principles out mm-hmm. when you recognize that you're trying to work with a person, mm-hmm. or ideally mm-hmm. become that person, become but, that person, but with, and no, realize. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. No, and, and and realize talking keep keeping the person of the man Christ Jesus because Paul kept saying. I did not come here about doctrine. I came about a man. I came about the man, Christ Jesus. He said, I was not sent to preach all of this other stuff. I was here to preach Jesus. Now, if this is an issue in Jesus Christ, if it's an issue for Jesus Christ, then as an apostle, I'm going to address it. But in the end, you are not going to go to a world full of casinos. So that ought to tell you that God is not in that. When this is all over, you're not going to go to a brothel. And if you are, you're not trying to be with the man who is the savior of the world. You're trying to be with the people who have issues with him. And a lot of times your issues with, with with Christ show up in your challenges with sin. You got issues with his righteousness. You got issues with his truth. You have issues with his sovereignty. Satan had a problem with Jesus' sovereignty in heaven, and he still has a problem with it here. Now, you need to recognize that this is a combat that is not about the bullets and the ammunition only. They are all instruments of resolving this combat. So, yes, you're right. The Bible doesn't talk about smoking cigarettes, but it does talk about destroying the temple of God. The Bible does not talk about, it may not talk about lottery, but it talks about idols, and your idol is money. Which is why I have such a problem, and I want to talk about the school for a minute, yeah, sure. but I have such a problem with people thinking, well, we'll just, we'll just whip out another Bible translation so that you'll get it. We'll just keep whipping out translation. But you are dealing with translation. You're reading this print, but you still don't know what the author said. Man, you don't know his issues. You still, no matter how much you read it, he still cannot paint the picture for you. When you read it, you do not get the portrayal that a trainer gets to pass on to a learner. Or do you even care? Because a lot of times, well, no. If it's true. I mean, the first thing you have to ask yourself when you are asking questions like that, you are challenging scripture, you're having difficulties with the laws and the legalism and the restrictions, is do you really care what God wants? No. Because that's what it comes And are you in it for Christ? Yeah, are you in it for Christ? You know, we like to say we're in it for Christ. Yeah. You know, and you you might might have got in it, but you're not in it with Christ. You You are at odds with Jesus Christ. And see, people need to start calling those things. You have a problem with the man, Christ Jesus. First of all, being a man, and you're like, well, how can one man have all of that? Because he did not start out as a human. He started out as the Godhead. But we have to talk. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Did you all appreciate, and Norma, just give me a sense of what uh, their response. Did you all appreciate this length, depth, and breadth of explanation and treatment of the Godhead, our Savior, Jesus Christ? Did you appreciate it? Do you think this should go around the world? Yes. Do you think that you would have loved to have more information? Would you like me to have been able to go into depth or us to be able to teach you more about this? If you feel that way, then I need you. We right now, we started Price University, which was 
formerly Kingdom Embassy University. I need you to get behind me for, my, for the school and for the show. I need your help. I need this. Now, let me tell you, we need you to become partners with us and fundraisers, but, and also providers. We need computers. We've been trying to get computers for like ever. We're all working on broke down 10-year-old technology. Something mm-hmm. is pretty bad, five-year-old, and we need that. We need to be able to, to furnish our library. We need that. We need to be able to promote and market for students. We need some recruitment help. We need that. I've never done this because I kind of said, well, you know, God will talk. But sometimes God needs us to talk. And so I need you all to become backers of the, the growth and stability and provision of Price University. I need you to say, I'm coming on board as a donor. I'm coming on board as a provider. I'm coming on board. And we don't just need, we need the equipment, we need the money, but we also need you reaching out to contacts and ways that you can help us raise the funds to keep us going. We are, we're fighting with all we have. But you know what? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the instruments of our victory are. And I need you to say, Dr. Price, just let let us know. Tell me. Right now, I'm telling you, we need computers. We need electronics all over the place. We we, we need people to help us finance programming to get our language. We're trying... We have an opportunity to go international, but we need the software to make that happen. We have a company to do that, but we need to raise funds. And I need more than us seeing to the the stability and the prosperity of this school. Some of you all are sitting there saying, God told me to hold on to my so-and-so until, well, you can sell it to us as an endowment. You can do that. We need endowment. But we need to be able to get this out because if not, then this dimension of, of knowledge, et cetera, is not going to happen. And Satan keeps clamping down on us with finances. And as long as I've been in ministry, it's been finances. And I mean, it's been logical excuses. Well, you're new, et cetera. Now, the old has already collapsed. It's not working. It's failed. You're angry with the old, and yet you won't sow to the new. You won't sow to what God is doing. And then we have the proverbial, well, y'all are women. Okay, so then we're back again with the same thing. I can't beat this without you. You couldn't get this breakthrough without me. But I can't break through and beat this without you. I need you to help me. And I'm, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. We've fought. We have done the work. We have the courses are done. We have the classes are set. We have the portal ready to go. And yet we're still trying to get our, our, our computer room up. We're trying to get other materials, even signs outside. We've been trying to get signs on the building since we've been here, and every time we turn around, we get slammed with the whole money tactic. Because for, for me, money is a weapon, because it's a weapon used against me. And so we keep writing, we keep producing, we've got textbooks that we need to get printed, and again, we have things that we need to get in other languages. But my biggest issue is right now that we can have the funds to keep going, even to pay for our facility. Hey, you can go on a wall as part of our donor. We have a whole wall for that. So if that's what God put on your heart, I really need you. I'm just being honest. And, and, and you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time, none of you can say over the five years that I've done this, that I was a money preacher because I haven't been. But right now I'm fighting for this vision that God wants, and I'm fighting for this institution that God needs. This is the future. 
And, you know, I can say to you, like like um, Mordecai said to Esther, God may raise up else another way. But what if you're the one that's called to me and to this show for such a time as this? You are the one. There is nobody else. And there are you, some of you all out there, you are the groundbreakers. You are pioneers. You're trying to pioneer your stuff. Well, what if that... What if that can can reverberate to you when we can get going? We're we're go, we're going national. We're getting ready to be on. We don't even know how many televisions. I mean, I'm getting ready to appear on. I don't even know six, seven television shows where the, the 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 audience will grow. But we are family, and you prayed this. You prayed me into this place. You did. God, we need somebody who will tell the truth. God, we need somebody who will help. God, we need this. God, we need that. And you all prayed me into this place. Well, I'm in this place. Now I need you to help me stay here, and I need us to join forces to go to the next level. Are, they, are you all hearing me? I just need you to be responsive. I'm saying this to you because this has just been a battle. You know, me doing this and then the whole idea that I am an African-American woman. Oh, my God, we're fighting on all sides. And all of those, they're not what people really believe, but they are what the tactics that Satan keeps telling people so that they don't have faith in, in, in getting behind us. And you know this is unique. Who do you know has written a dictionary and then a whole university curricula? How do they become donors, Dr. Price? Uh, you can reach out to us online if you are interested in becoming a donor and participating in our, our campaign uh, to sponsor the future is what we're doing for Price University. Um, then you can email us at uh, the Price UniversityInfo@PriceUniversity.org. That means it comes directly to her. And if they want to show today, like right now in this moment, you can PayPal us at info at Price University. Dot org. We know most everybody's on PayPal these days. You can PayPal us, um, info at priceuniversity.org to sow a seed today. They can also text to give us. Right? Yes, you can text to give right now. If you're not a PayPal user, you can use text to give. The, the number, I'm going to say it three times, and I know that someone's going to put it on the screen, 918-608-1378. 918-608-1378. Six zero eight one three seven eight. I'm going to say it one more time. Nine one eight six zero eight one three seven eight. Text the amount that you'd like to give. If you want to become a, a significant donor with us, a serious partner with us, then we want you to email us right now at info at priceuniversity.org. You heard Dr. Price talk about the computers, the signage. Uh, if you want to partner with us in those larger visions that we have and what we need, email us today. We're going to help you get set up to be a significant donor, a regular donor with us. If you're listening with us right now and saying, I want to sow a seed right this moment, PayPal us at info at priceuniversity.org or send us a text to give at 918-608-1378. Well, I sure appreciate it. And I thank you now for our donors. And, and, and yes. if you decide you want to be, be, get a donor package so that you can literally secure Price University's place in God's future and to see to it that it's prosperous. I'm, I'm telling you, this is so great. And I mean, we want to get students in here. If you want to sponsor a student, we will do that too. If you say, you know what, I want to sponsor a student or I want to, want to be part of the marketing or recruitment campaign, you can do that. But the biggest thing that I pray for right now is that the vision that God gave me, that, that gets apostles and prophets and to get intelligent kingdom education in the mainstream and accredited happens. 
We are excited about you. I love you dearly. And, 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 and while we're at it, please pray. Because the enemy is really fighting us. Please pray. I love you. God bless you. See you Sunday for what? Scripture organic. Culture of modified Christianity at the Congregation of the Mighty, where God says. God bless. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.